I had an intuition this evening that it would be useful to uh, speak a little bit, at least during the sitting period, about uh, the art of making space and uh, pointing a little bit to the the natural spaciousness of our own mind, that, that our own mind that we often perceive as this, uh, this thing that somewhere in the middle of our head. But uh, this is just another idea, and one of those ideas that actually increases the sense that we don't have enough space when really our mind has no location and it has no limits. It has no height, no depth, no color, no shape. In fact, there really is no thing called mind. That's just another idea, mind. As Nobody's ever seen one, but yet we use this word as this somehow this little container that uh, that our thoughts and feelings uh, rattle around in and uh, make us miserable <laughs> and sometimes give us a lot of pleasure, pleasure and pain a lot in our thinking. But there's really no mind in which that happens. But yet all of these thoughts and these feelings are known in awareness. And awareness it's also sometimes called a thing, but awareness is just that faculty, that quality that knows that something's cooking, something's happening. But that awareness, that which knows a thought, knows a feeling, knows a sound, it doesn't have any location. It is inherently free, empty, unbound. And this is really the true nature of our own mind. It is uh, the opposite of complexity. It is its utter simplicity. It is just a. It is just pure knowing. It just knows. That's the the nature of mind. It knows. And yet, within the nature of mind or the nature of awareness, we can use all these different words. There is an obvious. There is an obvious truth that when the sense of our awareness or mind is tight and narrow. Our bodies become hard. Our hearts become hard. Our thoughts become hard. Our feelings become hard. Our thoughts become quite compulsive. And there is a sense, a felt sense, that there's not enough room. There's not enough space. And as our bodies tighten, our thoughts increase, our inclination moves a lot toward, um, toward self-interest, toward, uh, toward what in its extreme is selfishness. It, we become preoccupied with, it becomes, everything becomes about me. On the other hand, when and this is why we practice to some degree, when our bodies are softened, when, there's this, when whatever, through whatever means we soften our bodies, 
through whatever means we soften our minds, we soften our hearts through metta or compassion or whatever, we, we soften our mind through, through widening its scope. It is a natural, the natural expression, the natural fruit of softening is uh, a sense that there's more space, a sense of much more effortless caring, much more responsiveness. It is inherent in our openness, in our what could be called Buddha nature. Again, all these are just words, mind, awareness, Buddha nature, nature of mind, all these things. But it is within our nature that when we are open, soft, what flows so naturally is a sense of caring. It's the, the natural expression of our open mind, open heart, is caring. And that's why we don't have to be, when we're open, we don't have to be reminded to care for the earth. It is the natural expression to care for animals, to care, to, to, uh, to act generously, to act kindly. To, this is just what we do, care for other people, to care for... Caring is one of those things that flows from a soft, open nature of our mind and body. And the truth is we all have the power, we all have the capacity to, um, to be Buddhas, to have that, that most innate, wholesome expression of our hearts be flowing more, um, more frequently. We all have the capacity to come out of the, the tangle of, of me and mine, of all about me, and to bring some caring to first and foremost to our to our own preoccupations and then widen that scope to be able to be caring of others and i know this is a little bit of review from last week but i wanted to give you the little follow up and i was thinking about caring for animals when i told my story of the the boarding of of the hamsters one person came up after the sitting and said, I'll care for your hamsters anytime you go out of time. So that, that's our Buddha nature, that response of the heart. Someone who listened to the talk online wrote me an email and told me about a place in the East Bay to take the hamsters that, that takes really good care of hamsters. And it sparked, that, it sparked the reminder that it's so innate in us to care and to to then reach out and be be generous but we we lose touch with it we we become so tight so hard and it is central to the buddha's teaching that life is hard that life is hard life is hard to bear i in my conversations today earlier in the day i I heard stories of, and every story is some measure of greed, hatred, and ignorance, what the Buddha called the three poisons, the three causes of suffering. But I heard stories that would make your blood curdle, 
that would make your that were absolutely utterly heartbreaking unbelievable the extent to which people can act with such ill will with such obliviousness to the impact of their actions such lust and greed and lack of sensitivity it's really hard to bear and we all have that capacity to do that whenever i think of the people i have the hardest time with in this world i know that i have that aspect in my own heart and mind i can feel murderous i can feel i can feel ill will i can feel really self-interested and grasping i know that's true and it's an aspect of what's difficult to bear in our lives to if you're born you have some measure of greed hatred ignorance if you're born you have stress if you're born there's change if there's if you're born you will have frustrated desire your pride will get wounded over and over again this tends to make us if we are unskilled in goodness unskilled in practice it makes us hard that's our knee jerk that's our default response our conditioned response is to harden is to tighten up is to defend is to protect is to build a fortress and unfortunately that has only increased our hardness and it is the potential and the promise of the dharma that we go the other direction we go against the stream of hardening we go toward softening we go toward widening we we relax we soften our bodies we cultivate a um an an, inha- an embodied ease and presence i was looking through a teaching tonight from one of my favorite tibetan teachers named dujum rinpoche the first instruction he offers so simple so beautiful yet it encapsulates i read the first two paragraphs and encapsulates everything i'm speaking of since everything originates in the mind this being the root cause of all experience whether good or bad it is first of all necessary to work with our own mind not to let it stray and lose yourself in its wanderings cut the unnecessary build up of complexity and fabrications which invite confusion in the mind nip the problem in the bud so to speak allow yourself to relax and feel some spaciousness letting mind be to settle naturally it's like muddy water where the mud sinks and slowly it clears your body should be still speech silent and breathing as it is freely flowing here there is a sense of letting go unfolding letting be what does this state of relaxation feel like you even when you hear these words something in us begins to return to that natural state of openness but it has to be because we're so habituated to hardening we have to remember we have to practice this this kind of softening softening the heart softening the body opening the lens of of our heart and mind as uh, i was sitting tonight i was 
thinking about, you know, I wasn't completely silent, resting in the the ultimate stillness of mind. I had a few, I was noodling a little bit about about this evening, and I, and just thoughts came, and one of the thoughts that came, one of the streams that came, was the thought that I'm about to lead a retreat. I'm starting a retreat tomorrow evening, the annual Labor Day retreat that I've been part of for more than 20 years at Spirit Rock. And I was thinking about, I had been thinking about softening and widening because I had offered the instructions this evening. And then I had that recollection that I often do when I think about retreats, and I know many of you here have been on retreats. And the process of which people, the process in which people settle in, they settle in, and the first thing they notice is how tight and hard their bodies are, how absolutely crazy their minds are. That's what why I often read the teaching from Bhante Gunaratne. He says, at some point in the meditation, you will you will come to the realization that you're completely crazy. Your mind is a shrieking madhouse on wheels barreling down in the hill, utterly, utterly out of the control and, and hopeless or helpless. And then he goes on to say, no problem. It's not any different than it was yesterday. You just didn't notice it. But the, that noticing is part of the process of settling in. It is a sign that that already there is a widening, there is a softening, that widening enough to be able to to apperceive, to be able to notice, oh, this is what my mind is doing right now. Rather than just being carried along by the complexity and the crazy wanderings that Dujim Rinpoche, we begin to notice them. Already there's a widening. And interestingly enough, as that widening happens, even though there's a lot of aching, aches and pains and restlessness and dullness and doubt and so much comes, but almost to a person, there is a, an increased sense of well-being as it goes along, an increasing sense of wholeness. And isn't it interesting, once we start to soften, you see, start to see on the bulletin board, in the kitchen, Somebody starts offering meal dana. You know what meal dana is? Somebody will offer money f- to feed everybody for that day, for that meal. And their name is put up on the bulletin board, and sometimes it's anonymous. But the flow of generosity starts. Then people start leaving flowers on people's cushions. People start being very respectful of uh, how they conduct themselves in the lines. That Buddha nature begins to express its wholesome sides, not because anything was created, but because the, the, uh, the conditioned stress begins to ease. And then all the, all the qualities that, that turn our life into joy then begin to function more. And people get very inspired and very, and their faith deepens, and then they associate that with going on retreat and very often forget that all they did was return to what's always already here. And, um, and then we tend to forget and get caught up in our hardening again and then think that and then associate that softening with a retreat rather than 
remembering that it is, it's really our nature. It is our nature. And the point is never to stray away from that. Never to stray away from it. Not let a single day and, and hopefully not a single moment pass without something expressing our wholesome nature, without softening in some way, without caring in some way, without, without noticing in some way, without brightening rather than dulling. And so that we start to really consider, what am I doing with my mind and body? What am I doing right now in the middle of this day? Am I inclining toward softening and opening or am I inclining toward contraction? Am I inclining toward complexity or am I inclining toward simplicity? And as the, the Buddha put it, whatever one frequently dwells upon becomes the inclination of the heart and mind. So it's not an accident that we end up in the state of mind that we find ourselves. It's what we practice. If you want to understand your past, look at what your present experience is. And of course, a lot of it's got set in motion long before we knew what was going on, internalized a lot of bad habits from our culture and family, etc. But it is a useful principle to see if I, my experience is this way, it, it didn't happen by accident. But more importantly, rather than the dwelling on if I want to understand my past, look at my present experience, what I find very inspiring is if I want to understand my future, look at my present actions. What seeds am I planting? What am I, what am I doing with my mind and body? Am I widening my lens? Am I narrowing it? Am I, am I preoccupied... Is it, am I caught up in the narrative, it's all about me? Am I caught up in what I want to happen? Am I caught up in, in complaining, in aversion, in ill will? I'm not sure whether I shared this on a retreat, but I'm, in terms of being so caught up in what we want to happen, I, I often think of the poem from Rumi where he says, Failure is the key to the kingdom or queendom within. He says, your prayer should be, break the legs of what I want to happen. Humiliate my desire. Eat me like candy. It's spring. And finally, I have no will. Just putting a light on how, how, we, how we just get, wear ourselves out in, a, in hot pursuit of, of what's next and bind ourselves to to pleasure and, and joy. And then as, who was it, Emerson? No, wait, um, the poet who says, she who binds, he who binds to himself a joy. Blake. Is it William Blake, yeah. He who binds to himself a joy does the winged life destroy. But uh, she who j- kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity sunrise. So how often do we just let things flow through our consciousness? How often are we holding tight in a state of clinging, in a state of becoming, in the state of I won't be happy until I get what I want? How much do we hold ourselves hostage? And all our practices is to put a light on that. When we notice that we're, we're, when we're, that we're squeezing, that we're scrunching, we don't keep doing it. Something in us begins to let go. 
begins to widen, begins to soften. The same when we're just working the case for the prosecution against ourselves or against someone else. If we pay attention to it, if we notice it, it's so painful. And if we really get it, it will start to work on our self-compassion at first. And then maybe even work on the compassion for others. See, we even know how painful it is for ourselves. Then we start to appreciate how painful it is for everyone else to be caught up in being so angry and frustrated and self-critical and critical of others. And then it doesn't make us mad when we see it. We, it makes us, it, it uh, makes our hearts soft, tender. And we sit with that. We feel that tenderness. Think of the Hafiz poem that says, don't, don't uh, move away from your, your loneliness so quickly or something. He says, let it cut more deep. Let it season and ferment you as few divine or even human or even divine ingredients can. And then he ends, he says, Something missing in my heart tonight has made my eyes so soft, my voice so tender, my need of the divine absolutely clear. This is the softening. This is the tenderizing effect of paying attention and uh, caring about ourselves, caring about our freedom. So the whole point is to be free, is to incline toward freedom, to come out of that narrow, tight fist of grasping and know that there's always space, open, inviting, and in fact for everyone here, the possibility of it being open, inviting, and comfortable in this very life, in this very moment. Nobody has a corner on Buddha nature here. Everybody here, when we, when we just commit ourselves to stop looking ahead and stop looking back so much and just being alert, attentive, using our sense doors to help freshen this sense of presence, open our eyes, open our ears, open our whole body, this amazing organ of feeling, open our nose, open our tongue. Ah! And I don't care what your situation is, you can, get, you can be stoned on life in the middle of it all. Don't have to wait until everything works out for you. There is no tomorrow. There is, as Eckhart Tolle says, there's no salvation in time. You can only be free now. Don't, as... Gendon Rinpoche says, don't go into the tangled jungle looking for the great awakened elephant who's already resting quietly at home in front of your own hearth. Don't have to undo anything. You don't have to do anything. Everything is everything's available to you. But as Dujim Rinpoche says, you, you've got to stop straying away from yourself so far into these Wanderings. I'll read it again. First of all, it's necessary to work with your own mind, not to let it stray and lose yourself in its wandering. Cut the unnecessary buildup of complexity and fabrications which invite confusion in the mind. Nip the problem in the bud, so to speak. 
To me, nipping is simply, nipping it in the bud is just being, using sati, using mindfulness, using clear comprehension of what's happening. What's happening now? Keep asking, what's happening now? And this is the, this itself is the cutting through. What's happening now? And then if you can't, if you can remember once you're awake to where you are, soften. Soften everything. Soften your body. Soften your heart. Soften your mind. Often when I give meditation instructions, the one that works for me, I don't know if it works for anybody else, but allow the mind to be soft and alert. Attention to be gentle yet precise. We often get very precise and very alert, but forget the soft and forget the gentle. And that's, I think, what we all need because we have a lot of hard feelings. As you hear that expression, no hard feelings, let's try not to have so many hard feelings. Let's try to have softness, love, kindness, gentleness, compassion. What does this state of relaxation feel like? You should be like someone after a really hard day's work, exhausted and peaceful, peacefully satisfied, mind content to rest. Something settles at a gut level and feeling it resting in your gut, you begin to experience a lightness. It is as if you're melting. Now, how far do we have to travel for that? How long does it take? It's our nature. So let's rest as Sogil Rinpoche puts it. Let's rest in natural great peace. This exhausted mind beaten helpless by karma and neurotic thought. Like the relentless fury of the pounding waves in the infinite ocean of samsara, rest in natural great peace. Rest. Give rest. Rest your weary minds. So we have some time for any comments, questions, anything about your practice, anything about... Anything I said up to this point? Please. Synonymous with practice is play. So you can use that. That's a good word. Yes. So practice was severe and training and competition, yeah. So play helps you, huh? Keep it keep it keeps it lighter. Yes, great. Play. So for you practice is play. Play on the word play is is a sense of place. Great. Lovely. <laughs> Please.
No, no, I think it's in our nature to, to strive toward things and to try to expand, to try to develop, to try to protect our families, to try to feed ourselves and feed others. That's just in our nature. But what often turns that into hardness is the, is the quality of fear, of, of worry, of uh, being so focused on the prize that we don't actually... We don't actually care for the process. We often postpone the sense of relaxation. Think, I can't relax until I, until I get what I want. And meanwhile, that life is happening. And the end of the rainbow may not ever arrive. So we don't, we don't have time to waste. We don't have time to wait to be okay, even when we're hungry. It's easy to talk about, but it's... It's harder to deal with when it's actually happening. But nevertheless, the, the, the teachings remind us that our situations are varied. And, and the situation doesn't necessarily dictate the suffering. The suffering is in how it is that we go about dealing with our situation, not the situation itself. And so the practice is just to see if you can... See if you can Relax, you'll probably function and fulfill whatever, that, whatever you need to do and deal with whatever isn't working a lot easier if there's a little softness, a little caring, than if you're getting so wound up in tension. It's never made it getting a job any easier. Yeah. Does that speak to your question or no? Pleasure. Please. Yeah. And I'm thinking, trying to understand how to apply that, thinking, well, maybe I just need to be very careful about what I think about in the present, just focusing on positive things to create a more positive future. But it would be like applying a filter on everything I think about now, trying to make a better life. I'm trying to understand how to apply that idea. Well, how do we apply the idea of, of, of whatever seed we're planting now becomes our future and how to have a better future. Well, the fact is that everything that we do with our thoughts and our words and our actions produce results. So it is, it is part, of a, part of a wise action to pay attention. You don't want to become so stilted in paying attention that you then get all wound up and tense, so worried about whether you're having the right thoughts or not. In, a, in the most relaxed way, you just want to see, what am I doing with my mind? And what am I doing with those things that I would like to fulfill? I know a lot of people have beautiful visions of what they'd like to manifest in their lives. Yet, what they're actually doing on a moment-to-moment basis is actually increasing the sense of frustration and making it harder to fulfill that. And so just softly, in a relaxed way, in a caring way, saying, what am I doing on behalf of of planting the seeds that will be helpful. And in doing that, you're both, planting this, you're both increasing the sense of well-being now and planting the seeds for more well-being in the future. Um, but it's always useful to know that the future uh, doesn't really exist and to not to dwell so much in the obsession with what's next and at least be mostly oriented to what's, what's actually happening, knowing, though, that it will become our future present.
I think that may be enough tonight. We have in the last few minutes one of our true Sangha community benefactors, somebody who's really been instrumental in us being able to continue sitting uh, all these years here in this church and really helped, uh, um, yeah, just really took it to heart that we needed to uh, have more support to be able to afford being here, etc., and just put a lot of energy into the care of our Sangha. Anyway, she had a terrible, uh, her name is Lisa Damatrovich, many of you know her, she had a terrible bike accident about nine days ago and uh, is about to be operated on. Have her, um, she broke her three ribs and a, her clavicle, and she's, her doctor told her she needs an operation, so that's going to be Thursday. So I wanted everyone here to use that tremendous softness that you have now, that you've been sitting a little bit and... Um, hanging out together, taking all the softness and all the caring that flows from that, all the loving kindness and compassion that you have, and just envelop Lisa in your heart and mind uh, for these next moments and wish her uh, uh, her health and well-being and that she can uh, continue to be happy and peaceful and feel safe and protected and that she heals very quickly and that, um, that she knows that the, all the blessings of our practice, the fruits of our practice, all the benefits of our practice, all the goodness that has come from us being together uh, is being shared with her tonight. And let's deeply wish Lisa um, happiness and peace. And let's not limit our goodwill to Lisa. Let it expand to include everyone who's been sitting with you tonight, everyone who supports you. It is really an act of generosity to be here, so thanking each other for the generosity of your presence. And then expanding that goodwill to include all beings in this city, in this country, in this Well, let's stick with the country for a moment. Let's share our goodwill with the with the different with both political parties tonight. This will be a true test. Whoever you agree with, whoever you disagree with, let everyone be touched by your loving kindness and your compassion. And then finally, expanding our loving kindness to include all beings everywhere, all creatures all the animals of the air, of the waters, of the earth, all beings who are seen and those who are unseen, all those who are invisible, people who don't, the beings that we don't notice. Let everyone be touched by loving kindness. And may our practice today and every day be dedicated to the welfare of all because we don't exist ourselves alone apart from all things and all beings. May all beings be free, be filled with love and kindness.
Anyway, thanks for your presence. Thanks for your attention. Just another gentle reminder, as we do each week, about the Donna Basket. All the teachings here are offered freely. It's my practice of generosity, and the invitation is for you. If you feel so inclined to uh, support me being able to do this by practicing generosity in the form of uh, putting money in the basket. Also, our room rental is $150 a week. And that is also, it depends on our generosity for us to be able to be here. So you can put both the room rental and the teacher Donna in the Donna basket. Thank you in advance for your generosity. And the whole Sangha thanks you. Because without you, we can't keep sitting here. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.